today just been uh, three weeks and uh, I'm usually I'm a little better at red being ready to preach on them when I'm done than uh, when I'm when I'm beginning and I was thinking I should have titled these three sermons uh, some you know some thoughts on prayer uh, more thoughts on prayer and still more thoughts on prayer so here we are and still more thoughts on prayer so let's pray and we're going to look at uh, at our passage for today father thank you that we can come to you that we can come to you with anything and that you don't turn us away uh, you listen you care even when we're messed up and even when our prayers are messed up you you listen to us and you care and you guide and you direct don't ever let us forget that don't ever let us think that you don't care the enemy would like us to believe that and in this whole area of prayer sometimes when things don't go as we perhaps thought they should we get into that thinking sometimes that you don't care and that is so wrong we might think that you don't listen and that is so wrong thank you that we can come to you thank you that you accept us and that in Christ you have given us this relationship with you may it grow deeper because of our time looking into your word because of our openness to your transforming power in us so guide this time and do great things we ask in his name amen we're going to be in acts chapter 9 but some of you knew that actually kent's the only one who knew that Uh, it's on page 1012 uh, in the Pew Bible, if that's what you're using, page 1012, Acts chapter 9. Uh, in Acts, back in chapter 7, you don't need to turn there, back in chapter 7, it ends with the stoning of Stephen. Some of you are familiar with that. Uh, and Stephen was stoned to death for his faith in Christ. And as he's stoned to death, uh, we're told in, in that chapter that the people laid their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. That while he was, while, while the people were stoning, and I mean, that's just, you want to talk about an unpleasant way to die, um, this, that's way up on the list of unpleasant ways to die. Uh, he, as he was being stoned to death there, they, it says they laid their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Chapter 8 opened with, opens with the words that Saul agreed to putting him to death. You know, that Saul was in agreement with that. Not only were they just laying, it wasn't just the fact that they were laying the robes there. It was the the fact and the reality that Saul was agreeing with putting him to death. Well, then this chapter 8 goes on and and speaks of of Philip and Ethiopian eunuch and um, uh, Simon. And so then we get into uh, get into chapter nine and Saul reappears, reappears. Uh, Saul comes up again in chapter nine. So follow along with me. We're going to cover a a larger portion of scripture again today, but uh, we're going to read it and do it in pieces. Um, Chapter one, verse nine. No, no, no. Chapter 9, verse 1. I know those numbers. I, I think dyslexically sometimes as well as read that way. But at any rate, um, chapter 9, verse 1. Here we go. Meanwhile, Saul, there he is. Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and requested letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus. So that if he found any men or woman, women who belonged to the way, he might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. 
As he traveled and was nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? He said. I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting, he replied. But get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless. I'll bet they did. Uh, hearing the sound, but seeing no one. Then Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were opened, he could see nothing. So they took him by the hand and led him into Damascus. He was unable to see for three days and did not eat or drink. Now let's pause there for a minute. One of the things we need to understand about Saul, Saul thought that he was defending the Jewish religion here. You know, as he was going and he was hunting down those who uh, claimed to that Jesus was the Messiah, as, as he was hunting down those people, he thought he was defending the Jewish religion. He thought he was doing what any good Jew would do. Now, he was perhaps a bit more zealous, a bit more, um, uh, I was going to say animated. We're way beyond animated when you're doing what he was doing, you know, a bit more extreme. Uh, but he was sincere. You know, he was sincere in what he was doing. Now, sincerity doesn't, sincerity doesn't mean you're right, you see. You can be sincerely wrong. There is such a thing as being sincerely wrong. There are many people who sincerely believe other things about Jesus. And who sincerely, you know, believe that he is not God. But they're sincerely wrong. Sincerity is not, our sincerity is not the standard by which truth and reality is measured. You see, so we can be sincerely wrong. Now, what he, he sought, and he did what he should here, he sought out the permission of the one who was considered to be the top religious leader, the high priest. Uh, you know, the high priest had an interest in keeping things calm. Because, you see, if things weren't, they were under Roman occupation, and if things weren't calm, then Rome was going to come in and clamp down harder on them. So the priest, the chief priest, had an interest in keeping things calm. And so the fact that, that uh, Saul wanted to go out and, and capture these people who were rabble-rousers in their mind, who were making trouble, that was a good thing in the high priest's mind as well. And so, you know, the fact that he was going out there, you know, was, he was going to bring them back as prisoners. It tells us, you know, he was going to bring them as prisoners, you know, against their will. I've not met anyone who uh, desired to be a prisoner, uh, particularly for doing something good. Uh, you know, so they were coming back against their will. And it says, as he was in the midst of doing this, as he was in the midst of doing something he thought was right, while he was in the midst of doing something he thought he was right, he finds himself in a conversation with Jesus. Now, we mentioned, a, you know, a, a couple of weeks ago, a very basic definition of prayer is talking with God, you know, having a conversation with God. It's not a monologue where we just lay out things to him. You know, we listen as well. I've never heard an audible voice, but I have heard God speak to me. I have heard him talk to me. 
The only way I've heard an audible voice of God is sometimes when somebody else said something and I knew God was telling me something. You know, now, when, you, when, you're, when you're looking, you know, and when you're, you know, when you're thinking about this, uh, you know, there's, he's in this prayer, he's having this conversation with God here, and it says that there was a sudden light from heaven, um, you know, that would certainly get your attention. Now, this was before the invention of helicopters with spotlights on them, but even if it was, uh, you know, it would certainly get your attention, you know, so there's this sudden light from heaven, it says, then an audible voice, which he obviously couldn't explain, was there now he did associate those with god you notice i mean he associated those with god and now he's in a conversation with jesus he's praying he's in a conversation there and the persecution of, of god's people you know jesus says why are you persecuting me I mean, the persecution of god's people those in their relationship with christ is the same as persecuting jesus himself that's how close that's how complete that's that's how how tied in uh, is Jesus' view of our relationship with him. That's how close it is. Uh, some of the passages I've been reading this week is, uh, was talking, uh, several of them talked about us being adopted, adopted as, as his children, part of his family, adopted as sons, which is a gift. Don't let our society, you know, that's not a, a statement about oppression of women. Because women are are adopted as sons as well, because in their society, sons had all of the privileges, you see. So what he's talking about there is men and women now in Christ have all those privileges. But at any rate, you know, uh, talking about being adopted, and I was just thinking this week, you know, and even prayed and, and thanked the Lord, you know, he he included me into his family like that. But you see, here we have a picture even deeper than that. You know, he, to persecute God's people is, is persecuting Jesus himself. Why are you persecuting me, he says. I find it interesting that Jesus uh, redirects Saul. He, doesn't, he does not simply confront him and rebuke him. He's interested in reconciliation. He doesn't say, you know, he doesn't just, he doesn't just shame him, doesn't just lay out what, what he, you know, wants to say and then, and then turns away like, hmm, I sure showed him. That's not what he's doing at all. He's looking for reconciliation. Jesus was pursuing reconciliation with someone who was chasing down and, and bringing back to even have, you know, possibly killed his followers. He was seeking reconciliation with someone here who was, who was destroying the church, who was, who was a, a, attacking him. Someone who gave approval to the stoning of Stephen. And now he's in the midst of actively searching out other followers of Christ to bring them back for trial. That could very well end in their death. And Jesus gets a hold of his life and totally, dramatically redirects him. He redirects him. You know, the whole picture there of reconciliation and Saul received direct instructions from Jesus, you know, on, on what to do. But not on the outcome. He told him, you know, he told him what, what he was going to do, but he didn't tell him what the outcome would be. He simply told him the next step. You know, he, he told him, you know, he, he told him uh, that he was that, uh, you know, he was going to, you know, do this, this very next thing. And, you know, we often pray with the end of you in mind. 
Jesus simply wants us to see the next step. He didn't tell him at this point, you know, Saul, we're going to change your name to Paul. Saul and Paul are the same guy. You know, Paul, the, the, uh, the apostle Paul, the one who wrote so much of the New Testament books, uh, who penned so many of the New Testament books. It's, just, it's the same guy. He doesn't tell him that this is the end. He simply tells him the next step. You know, God wants us. We want, we want the whole picture. We want to know the whole thing. You know, I used to want to know the whole thing. I really don't. There's some things that are coming I don't want to know now. I don't want to. I would be so distracted. I would be so distraught about some of it that I really don't want to know now. And I'm so grateful he doesn't tell me now. You know, some people get news from doctors and things, and my goodness, it's devastating. Stopping your tracks is an understatement. God wants us to take the next step. He doesn't want us to be stopped or slowed down by, by what's coming. He wants us to take that very next step. You know, those with Saul, it says they knew something was going on, but they were not aware of what was actually happening. And at the end of it, what they knew is Saul could no longer see, so they stepped in to help him. These were the people, these were the people who were with him as he was chasing down the other the, the believers. These are the people who was with him as he was chasing down the Christians. And now they step in to help him. He could no longer see, so they step in to help him. You know, now, as I was reading this, it, just, it, it reminded me, you know, others may not know what God says to you, but they very well may be part of the answer. They very well may be part of the answer. I've seen that in my life over and over again. You know, they, they have, they really don't even know, you know, how God's directed me, but they've been part of the answer. Now, I will remind you, you know, as I'm talking about this here, um, what God says to you will never contradict Scripture. What God says to you will never contradict who He is as God. He will, He does not contradict Himself, He does not contradict Scripture. God will not direct you to kill someone. He will not direct you into someone else's arms when you're married to another. You know, he will not tell you to get a divorce. God will not tell you to lie to someone. God will not tell you to steal or be dishonest in any other way. He will not direct you in a way that is contrary to Scripture. He will not direct you in a way that is contrary to his character and his being. It will always be in line with who he is and with what he said. You know, being blind here, you know, that would be hard to take. You know, that, that would really be hard to take. Um, you know, since Wednesday is when I fell and did this. And, um, and by the way, Jenny didn't get hurt. You know, I, I should have mentioned that in the first place. Um, so the um, uh, even taking a... Even taking a shower, I'm trying to wash my hair one-handed, and you know, and it just doesn't, it just doesn't work, you know. And I'm thinking, how do some people only have one arm? And I'm saying, how, you know, you know, and they make adjustments. And I know people are blind, and they make adjustments. And I, boy, we, I just think we really don't get the adjustment that some of these people have had to make. 
Well, here Paul can't see. Saul. Saul can't see. You know, and so he has, you know, he has these, these, these people that they come up and they help him. Uh, you could say it was because of the bright light, but those people with Saul weren't, weren't blinded by the light. A song came to mind, but I won't go there. Uh, those who are blinded, you know, they, they, um, <laughs> they, they, uh, yeah, they could still see. Uh, you know, now, when it lasted for more than a day, that would be kind of hard. When it got into the second day, oh, man. You know, the second day, you know, and, and, he st- and then into a third day, I would have panicked. I, I would have panicked here, you know, and I would have fallen into depression. Um, it seems a little bit. That's what Saul did. It says he, you know, he wasn't eating or drinking. Um, but as hard as, it, as hard as it was at this point, as hard as it was, God was not done yet. He was not done yet. You know, remember, when hard things come... And when you're in the midst, when you are in the midst of hard things, it may very well mean that God is doing something great. You know, it may very well, sometimes we think it means that we're forgotten. No, no, not at all. Quite the contrary. What it might mean very much so is that God is in the midst of doing something great. He is in the midst of taking you beyond where you ever could have gone before without this whatever, whatever is going on in your life. He's in the midst of doing something great. Pick up with me verse 10. Verse 10, it was there, there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, here I am, Lord, he said. And then he probably begins to wonder why he said that. Anyway, get up, go to the street called Straight. The Lord said to him, to the house of Judas. So far, so good. And ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, since he is praying there. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and placing his hands on him so he can regain his sight. Lord, Ananias said, I've heard from many people about this man. How much harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has the authority here from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go. For this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to the Gentiles, kings, and the Israelites. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. I don't know if it was that last phrase that got Ananias up and going uh, or what it was. but So Ananias left and entered the house. Then he placed his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, that's quite a statement right there that he calls him brother. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road you were traveling has sent me so that you can regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. At once something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul was with the disciples in Damascus for some days. Immediately he began proclaiming Jesus in the synagogues. Uh, he is the Son of God. Now let's pause there. See, here Ananias is praying. Ananias is talking with. He's, he's talking with the Lord. Now, in case you're wondering, it's always a good. It is always a good thing to respond to the Lord when He reaches out to you. 
You know, when he reaches out to you, it's always a good thing to respond to the Lord when he reaches out to you. Just don't, don't ever forget that. And then I ask, he's given a difficult task. He is asked to do something that he had every reason to believe would cost him his life. He had every reason to believe that going to talk to Saul was going to be very, very costly for him. Possibly the end of his freedom, possibly the end of his life. Now, Ananias checks to make sure, you know, that he heard God correctly. Um, you know, really, uh, it seems he does what we often do when we pray. He's trying to inform God of something. Uh, you know, he, he's trying to make sure God knew about, you know... Lord, just in case you didn't know, this Saul guy, I heard about this Saul guy. Maybe you didn't, but I heard about this Saul guy, uh, what, what he's doing, you know, and the trouble he caused. Um, but you see, never, you know, just never be afraid to take your concerns to God. Never be afraid to take them to God. I think as Ananias is praying here, um, he's doing exactly what we've been looking at these last couple of weeks. He is learning more of God's heart. Uh, you know, you know when you're praying, remember, you know, God already knows. He already knows, but he is willing to hear our concerns because we need to hear our concerns. We need to hear, you know, and it helps us with that whole thinking process. And it helps us understand his answers better. Sometimes our concerns are misguided. Sometimes they're misinformed. Sometimes they're influenced by panic or fear. And we need to hear that in ourselves sometimes. Well, God confirms the direction for Ananias to go and speak with Saul. And what Ananias heard was incredible. I mean, this would be hard for him to believe. Notice what he says. Saul was God's chosen instrument. This one who was, this one who was attacking the, the believers. He is called God's chosen instrument. Notice what it says. He would bring God's message to the Gentiles, to kings, and to the Israelites. As a strict Jew, he would have hated the Gentiles. He was trying to protect the sons of Israel from hearing the message about Jesus. And here, you know, Ananias is told he would, that he would be doing these things. How in the world would this ever happen? Remember, God can do and has done great things that seem impossible to us. God can and do great things that seem absurd to us, that seem out of the realm of even thinking for us, that say we don't even see how this could happen. We don't even see how this could come about. But God can do all of those things. And even though it seemed personally dangerous and logically impossible, Ananias obeyed. He obeyed what God called him to do. He expressed his concerns. He got clear confirmation. Yeah, he didn't argue. He didn't make excuses. He simply did what God asked of him. He did what God asked of him. You know, obey what is clear. Even though it might seem impossible to you, even though the outcome is unclear, even though the outcome is confusing to you, even though you can't see how all of these pieces fit together, obey what is clear. We mentioned last week, his word is very clear. You know, following his word is very clear. And sometimes even, you know, we think obeying and following his word doesn't seem to make sense to us. Obey what is clear, what he calls us to. 
Do what, you know, do what he says. It's our limitations as humans, you know. God is not limited like we are. We can't see how it fits together. He, you know, it, to us it's confusing. To us it's unclear. It's not unclear to God. It's not confusing to God. He understands how it all comes together. Uh, this, had, this had to be uncomfortable on several levels for him. And yet he obeyed. And then you know, and he sees immediate results. Verses 18, 19, 20. He sees immediate results. Not the results he, was, he expected. You know, Saul was radically transformed. Radically transformed. You know, God may use, he may very well use your obedience in other people's lives. It's not always for you. Sometimes, you know, your obedience is for other people. You may not even get to see it. God will. God will see it. Last weekend, I was, I, I kind of felt prompted to take some action regarding something that I had been praying about. Now, my first reaction was to pause. You know, my first reaction, you know, to pause. And then I, I began thinking, you know, others could do this much better than I can. You know, others, you know, others certainly will do this. And they'll do a better job, you know, than I could. But the prompting didn't leave. So Monday morning, um, I, I began taking action on it. And I, I finished up um, late Monday afternoon. Sixteen minutes. Sixteen, I, I, I had a, a time stamp on some things. So I, Sixteen minutes after I finished. Somebody sent me a message thanking me for what I had done because it's what they needed. It's what they needed. When I was when when I felt prompted, I just kind of felt prompted like I have to do this. I have to, you know, this is what I have to do. 16 minutes after I finished I got that message thanking me for what I had done because this is what they needed to move forward. God will use your obedience in other people's lives. Ananias was done in this incident. We don't hear anything else about Ananias here. But God had others ready to step in and take it further. Verse 21 other, you know, God has other people ready. Verse 21, but all who heard him were astounded and said, Isn't this the man who in Jerusalem was destroying those who called on his name and then came here for the purpose of taking him as prisoners to the chief priests? But Saul grew more capable and kept confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that this one is the Messiah. After many days had passed, the Jews conspired to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. So they were watching the gates day and night, intending to kill him. But the disciples took him by night and lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the wall. You know, a transformed transformed life is a powerful witness. Saul's life was transformed, and it's a powerful witness. Now, those who should have been glad about the change... You know, those who should have been glad about the change, the, the, the other Christians, you know, they were suspicious. It says, isn't this the man in Jerusalem who was destroying, who was called on the name, you know, for the purpose, he was sent here for the purpose of taking them as prisoners 
The ones who should have been happy weren't. And then his witness was so powerful that those who liked the old Saul better, those who liked the one who was chasing down the Christians, you know, they wanted to kill him because he was so radically changed. The Jews conspired to kill him. It seemed no one, you know, no one was happy about the change that God had brought about in Saul's life. And positive change can very often bring opposition. Don't think... Don't think everyone will be more excited about you following Jesus dynamically. Even some of those who you think should be excited about you stepping out and stepping forward and, and, and having a more dynamic life in the Lord. Don't think that they will always think that this is such a great thing. And the opposition might just get stronger. You know, it, 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 might, it, it might just happen that way. Well, God motivated some to step up and help Saul, to help him avoid the evil schemes, you know, of those who wished him harm. Well, for now, anyway. But even when it seems, you know, everyone is against you, remember that God will still work out his plan for your life. Even though it might seem that everyone else is against you, God will still work out his plan for your life. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? It might look like they're against you. But if God is for you, they are not going to be able to stop what God wants in your life. Pick up with me again, verse 26. Verse 26. It says, When he arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to associate with the disciples, but they were all afraid of him since they did not believe that he was a disciple. Barnabas, however, took him and brought him to the apostles and explained to them how Saul had seen the Lord on the road and that he had talked to him and how in Damascus he had spoken boldly in the name of Jesus. Saul was coming and going with them in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He conversed and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they attempted to kill him. When the brothers found out, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea Galilee and Samaria had peace, being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, and it increased in number. You know, here you have a new natural response from Saul, you know, wanting to associate um, you know, with those following Jesus. And previously, he was trying to arrest them. Previously, he was trying to haul them off to, you know, to Jerusalem. He's trying to haul them off to the officials. And here it is. He wants to, you know, he wants to, to spend time with them. Uh, the understandable response from the disciples is they wanted nothing to do with Saul because of his previous actions, his, his previous, you know, reputation. You know, know that others may not quickly embrace positive change in you. I've told you before, I've always been, um, I've always been quick with a smart aleck comment. I'm not proud of that. I used to be. Uh, you know, but 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 I'm not. I was always quick with a smart aleck comment, and I don't mind speaking my mind. You know, I don't mind speaking to hard issues. Um, so I had a reputation with some in the missionary church for being a smart aleck instigator. Those are phrases others used to me to describe myself. Um, many years ago, uh, God confronted me about that attitude you know and 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 so i i've 
continue to work to change that. And it's interesting because some now, and some who have met me since that time, um, you know, at the missionary church, they see me much differently. And for that, I'm, I'm grateful. Uh, but there are some still, um, you know, I try to bite my tongue sometimes uh, because being a smart aleck um, still comes very natural to me. And I try not to be. Um, I'm actually trying to be an encourager, uh, you know, and I have ways to go on that. Um, but some still see me as a smart aleck and it's. I'm not blaming them. It's 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 a, a picture I've brought on myself, you know, and 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 I realize that. Um, see, positive change can take some others by surprise, so they doubt that you've really changed. Yeah, and and that's what was happening to Saul here. The disciples were used to Saul the antagonist. They were used to Saul the prosecutor. They were used to Saul, the one who was destroying the church. But one guy, one guy, Barnabas, stepped up and embraced the change in Paul. He was familiar with Saul's story. It says, you know, it tells us there he was familiar with the story. Now he was he was willing to step out and to help Saul grow into a and, and to deepen his walk with Christ. And he was willing to do that. And he helped Saul get established and accepted and freely minister. Now, we read through this in a few minutes. If you read through, uh, read through the book, of, I believe it's in Galatians, um, Paul, Saul, uh, tells us, he indicates this was over a two-year process, really, uh, that this went on. But for us, as I read this, uh, just be willing to embrace difficult people. Be willing to embrace difficult people who you see God working in. You know, those difficult people where you see God working in them, you you might be the only one who sees it. You might be the only one who steps up and embraces them. You might be the lift that they need to grow in Christ. Now look again at the result there, verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace, being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, and it increased in number. Remember where we started this chapter. We started this chapter, and the church was not at peace because Saul was traveling around, breathing murders and threats, and he was on his way to Damascus to do what? To search out and to find Christians so he could arrest them and haul them back and bring them to the Sanhedrin for punishment. Far from peace. They were far from peace at this point. And here, you know, it ends up, you know, in a, it ends up, you know, Paul ends up in a conversation, in a prayer with Jesus, who gets his attention and brings about a drastic change in him. And Saul had no idea what the outcome would be. And here we are, you know, a couple of years later, and Saul's helping the church to grow. Here's the point I want you to remember. Prayer is not to help us accomplish our agenda Prayer is to help us embrace God's agenda. 
You see, it's not so, it is not so that, so that God can help us do what we wanted. Saul, when he was going and thought he was doing God's will, and he was going and he was arresting them and he was dragging them back, and it says he was breathing out murders and threats and he's dragging them back so they can be tried, so they can, you know, be persecuted, and, and, and his life is changed. And by the end of this chapter, he is embracing God's agenda. He thought God was going to help him accomplish his agenda. Well, he thought they were the same. He learned they weren't. Through his conversations with Jesus, prayer is not to help us accomplish our agenda. It's to help us embrace God's agenda. So the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace, being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord. And in the encouragement of the Holy Spirit. And it increased in number. Can't you think we can uh, do behold him again? You handle that? Andrew, you pull that up for us. Let's pray. And then after we pray, um, we'll do that song together as we close. Father, thank you for those who have come along and our lives and my life and have helped me to see sometimes that what I thought was uh, the way to go and the way to be was not what you wanted. And to help me see and understand and to walk with you and in your way even more. And even though I don't always understand, Father, you have made the next step clear to me. And you have always done that. Help us and help my brothers and sisters here. You know what you want for them. And you know how to best guide them to their next step. I pray that you would do that. I pray that you would guide them to a, a place where they can not only see and understand, but where they can embrace all that you have for them. We don't know the parts and the pieces and how they fit together, but you do. And we do know we can trust you. So guide us in that trust and following you, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Just stand together as we sing this song in closing.